Welcome to the Northwood Baptist Church podcast. I'm Tommy Metter, lead pastor at Northwood right here in North Charleston, South Carolina. And I am so thankful that you are taking the time today to listen to this message. And I do hope and pray that what you are about to hear encourages you, blesses you, helps you to understand the word of God better, and most importantly, reminds you of how much the God of all creation loves you. I think today's message is going to be a blessing to you. So thank you for listening. And if you're in the North Charleston area, we would love to have you on our campus any Sunday morning at either 9.30 or 11 o'clock. If you're not in the North Charleston area, you can always find us on the web, northwoodbaptist.com. You can visit our YouTube page. You can visit our Facebook page. You can live stream us every Sunday morning at 9.30 or 11. We would love for you to be our guest, either on campus or online. So you're welcome to join us anytime you'd like. We'd love to have you. I do hope that today's message is a blessing and encouragement to you. And I hope that today's message helps you connect faith to life. And we find ourselves this morning in Luke chapter 7, verses 36 through 50. Luke chapter 7, verses 36 through 50. As you're finding that, uh, I know many of you in this room, you're familiar with the Guinness Book of World Records, aren't you? And, and I, don't know, I don't know all the history. I was trying to find out some of the history of the Guinness Book of World Records, but it started back in the 50s and, and, and it's just kind of grown every year since then. And, and I don't know when it's the last time it was that you actually went through the Guinness Book of World Records. I don't know if I've ever have, but, but I found out this week that there are some pretty odd records in the Guinness Book of World Records, and I wanted to read some of them to you because I just uh, thought these were kind of interesting. Uh, for example, did you know this, that, that there's a Guinness Book of World Records record for the largest collection of toothpaste tubes? I know. I don't know if you collect toothpaste tubes or not, but apparently someone holds the record for that with 2,037 tubes of toothpaste. Yeah, I thought that was interesting. You, you don't. I, I hear from your, your, um, your response. Uh, but I did think this one was interesting. The most toilet seats broken by someone using their head in one minute. I mean, why wouldn't you want to try that? Someone broke 46 toilet seats with their head in one minute. That's a world record. I thought that was pretty interesting. Yeah, I know, right? Now, here's one, here's one that, that, that I'm really interested in because I think we might have a little competition here. Um, the heaviest weight lifted by a, watch this, the heaviest weight lifted by a human beard. I think this will be fun for Logan and for Randy to try, right? But apparently somebody, and I don't even know how this works. I mean, there's not a YouTube video on it. At least I didn't see one. That, that someone lifted with their beard 146 pounds. Can you imagine that hanging off your beard? Now, here's one I was really interested in. Uh, this week, or excuse me, over the past month or so, someone has broken a world record. I, I wanna show you the picture of this man here. This man right here, he lives in Poland and, and he just broke the world record for the oldest windsurfer. And actually he had to work to break this record. Over January, February, and March, he had to commit to going out and doing some wind service surfing in some very cold months in Poland to, to, to get this record. This gentleman who broke this world record, he's been, he's been wind surfing for 40 years and he broke this world record at the age of 88. Can you imagine windsurfing in the frigid waters at 88 years old? But he broke that record. I, I tell you all that just to help you think with me. If you're going to break a world record, one, you have to have a weird brain because there's some weird records. But two, you have to have some kind of commitment, perseverance, endurance to be able to do it. 
And here you are in this room, and I know this about you, that in this room, all of us are committed to something. Uh, For a lot of you, you're committed to your job, and that's a good thing. You're committed to your family. We all have different commitments. And on a Sunday like this, once a year, what we do is we take one Sunday to remind ourselves of the commitment that we have made to this local church. Most of you in this room, you are what we call covenant members of Northwood Baptist. Some of you aren't yet. You're praying about that, and you're, you know, maybe someday soon going to be as you walk through our process with us. But many of you, over the years, You've made a commitment for this church to be your home church, that you are engaged in ministry through this local body. You are a covenant member. You're committed here. Now, I want to just talk to you about this real quick. And I know you know this, you've been around for a while. Every church has a statement of faith, right? A statement of faith is simply what we believe. And here at Northwood, we have a statement of faith. And our statement of faith says things like this, that we believe the Bible is true, every single page of it. We believe that Jesus is the only way to the Father, that there is no other way. Uh, We believe, right, that Jesus is going to return. And so we have these fundamental beliefs, and those are just a few, but we have these fundamental beliefs that we hold on to as a church. That's a statement of faith, an expression of what we believe. Now, a covenant is a little bit different than a statement of faith. Now, if some of you are like me, how many of you, just show of hands just for the fun of it, how many of you grew up in just a traditional kind of Southern Baptist church? Any of you besides me? So yeah, some of you did, right? And if you're like me, you remember this thing we had called a hymnal. Any of you remember those? They were wild. I mean, songs in a book. Who would have thought? I mean, it's just back in the dark ages. But anyway, so we had these hymnals. And if you were like me, when you were in your church as a kid or a young adult, and you opened up that hymnal, in the back of that hymnal was a church covenant. But if you were like me in the church I went to, we never talked about that covenant. It was just kind of there. You know, we're wondering, like, what is this and why is it here? Well, in Northwood years ago, what this church decided to do was to take that covenant seriously. And, and, and so if you think about it this way, what a statement of faith is, a statement of faith is what we choose, or not, excuse me, not what we choose, but what we believe based on what we see in Scripture. While a covenant is, is, is a, a, an agreement, a promise between us saying, okay, in light of what we believe, This is how we promise as a faith family to live together. That's what a covenant is. A church covenant is an agreement, a promise that we're making to each other to live a certain way in light of what we believe from God's word. You follow me? And so years ago, this church made the decision that every single year we would take a Sunday and sign again the church covenant. Now, I know that's something different for a lot of us because we didn't grow up in a church that did that. There's not a lot of churches that do this. It's kind of weird. It's kind of different. But what this church wanted to do every year was just to express our commitment to each other by doing that. I know when you look through the Bible, you don't see examples of people signing covenants in the way that we're gonna do so this morning. I get all that, but I think it's good because it is a reminder to us that there's something unique about this church, that we're committed to each other. And this covenant is a reminder of that. And so as we walk through the message this morning, I'm gonna draw your attention to it several times as we think about the significance of this Sunday. And if you're a guest with us, maybe you're not a covenant member of our church, just listen to what we're we're talking about. And maybe you're going to desire to be a part of a church like ours. That's my hope and prayer. But what I want to do this morning, as we think about this covenant Sunday and our commitment to each other, I want to look at this story in Luke's gospel. Now, let me lay my cards on the table. Uh, This story we're looking at this morning, it doesn't have anything to do with church covenants. Nothing. 
right? But still a great story and it's in God's word. And, and while it has nothing to do with church covenants, there are some reminders in this story that I think are very helpful for us on a day like today, because I think what this passage is going to remind us of are some commitments, three commitments, in fact, that we need to make to each other, not just today, but every day as followers of Jesus. And so while this passage doesn't have anything to do with church covenants, I think it's going to help us to think well about what we're doing this morning. You follow me? And so take your Bibles, look at Luke chapter seven with me, verses 36 through 50, and go ahead and rise to your feet as we honor the reading of God's word together. Luke chapter seven, verses 36 through 50. Listen to what the Bible says, beginning in verse 36. Then one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to eat with him. He entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And a woman in the town who was a sinner found out that Jesus was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house. She brought an alabaster jar of perfume and stood behind him at his feet, weeping, and began to wash his feet with her tears. She wiped his feet with her hair, kissing them and anointing them with the perfume. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw this, he said to himself, this man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what kind of woman this is who is touching him. She's a sinner. And Jesus replied to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And Simon said, say it, teacher. A creditor had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. Since they could not pay it back, he graciously forgave them both. So which of them will love him more? And Simon answered, I suppose the one he forgave more. You have judged correctly, he told him. Turning to the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave to me no water for my feet, but she with her tears has washed my feet and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she hasn't stopped kissing my feet since I came in. You didn't anoint my head with olive oil, but she has anointed my feet with perfume. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. That's why she loved much. But the one who is forgiven little loves little. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this man who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Father, thank you for this morning. And thank you again for this day that we can come together and worship for this covenant Sunday uh, that we can remember the commitment that we've made to you and also to each other. And what a joy it is to be a part of a church like this, a church that's serious about living out our faith, uh, serving you and honoring you. A church that's serious, Father, about our commitment to the gospel of Jesus Christ and and making Christ known in our community and to our world. And so, Father, as we study your word together this morning, I I pray that you'll give us insight, that your spirit will speak to us. And I pray that right now you would help us to listen carefully to what you're saying with hearts that want to receive your word and obey your word. And ask it in Jesus' name, amen. You can have a seat. So you're with us now and you've, you've been with us for a while maybe and you've been journeying with us through Luke's gospel. And you know this, that, that as we journey together through Luke's gospel, Jesus has obviously had lots of encounters with people. He's had encounters with people like this woman we're going to meet in this story, sinners. And he's also had encounters with people like Simon the Pharisee. Simon the Pharisee and other Pharisees who, who, who thought they had uh, faith in God all figured out. And this is an interesting story. And, and, and Luke, the gospel writer, he doesn't give us all the details of what happened that day. Uh, so we don't know. We don't know on this day why exactly Simon the Pharisee invited Jesus into his home. I don't know. 
Uh, maybe Simon the Pharisee, maybe he was like Nicodemus. Do you remember Nicodemus over in John chapter three? Nicodemus was a seeker. Nicodemus wondered who Jesus was and he, he wanted to know if Jesus was a man who had come from God. And so Nicodemus, he really was seeking truth. And maybe that's the case with Simon the Pharisee, that he's much like Nicodemus, that he's seeking truth as well. Or maybe he's like some of the other Pharisees. And you know what the goal of a lot of the Pharisees was? To trap Jesus to prove that he was a fraud. And, and so maybe Simon thinks if he can get Jesus and some of his buddies into the, the house and have some theological conversations, he can, he can prove that Jesus is a phony, that he's a fraud, that he doesn't, doesn't know what he's talking about, that his claims are false. I have no idea. Or you probably know this. I mean, Jesus, thousands of people gather to hear him teach and witness the miracles. And, and so Jesus is a local celebrity and maybe Simon just wants the opportunity to have a local celebrity in his home. We don't know, but here he is on this day, inviting Jesus to a dinner with him. Now, what's interesting in those days is, is how they would eat a dinner. I brought a picture. This is an artist's rendition of what, you know, a first century home might have looked like in, in, in ancient Israel. And so what, what we, we don't know the exact details of, and I don't want to walk you through all this, but, but, but likely the case was is that in those days, these ancient homes, they would have a courtyard, a courtyard where the animals might gather or whatever the case may be. But it was oftentimes in those days when they shared a meal together, that when they shared that meal, they wouldn't share it inside the home itself, that when you had guests over to eat, you would actually eat in the courtyard. And the a table would be there in the courtyard. And you know, from the scriptures that when you ate at a table, you reclined around the table, you sat on big couches or whatever the case may be, You'd, you might eat with your right hand and prop yourself up with your left hand, your feet extending out. And, and that was just kind of the way that you ate. But, but here's the deal. When you ate in that courtyard, that courtyard was open right? And so you might have some gates or something. And, and, but, but anyway, the, the idea was in those days when you had a meal, you expected, you might've invited certain guests over. You might've invited someone like Jesus over and maybe a few of your Pharisee buddies, but, but you expected for people who are walking by to kind of eavesdrop a little bit and listen in to what was going on. I mean, that was part of it. And so, you know, these dinners, they were really social gatherings for the entire community. Now, the entire community didn't, didn't eat at your table, but they would certainly walk by and, and maybe peek over and see who you had at the table with you and, and listen to some of that conversation and maybe even pipe in a little bit. That was just the way that it was. And so a dinner, in some ways, was a public event. And so here you have Simon, he has Jesus to his home and, and it's kind of a semi-public event that he's expecting people to walk by and listen in and, and see that he has Jesus there. That was what would have happened. And, and when you had a guest into your home, you treated that guest with honor. It was a big deal. I mean, in that ancient culture, hospitality was a big deal. You know this from your time reading scripture probably, or you've heard a preacher like me talk to you about this before. I mean, you think about ancient Israel and, and walking those roads of Galilee where, where this story took place. I mean, those dirty, dusty roads. And so when you walked into somebody's home, even in the courtyard, it was expected that your feet would be washed. And so there would be a servant there who would wash your feet. That was just common courtesy, especially when you had an esteemed guest visit with you. But not only that, there were other things uh, you would expect when you walked into the home of, 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 of someone to share a dinner with them, that that person would greet you with a kiss on the cheek. Even they would uh, give you some, some, maybe not perfume in the sense that this woman gives Jesus perfume, but, but a fragrant olive oil 
to freshen up. And, and you might put some of that olive oil on your, on your hair. And, and so just think about it in this way, that, that wherever that guest would walk in the home, that aroma followed that. It's kind of a way to say, hey, this person's important. This person's significant. I have a significant guest in my home. And so here's what we know about the story, that Simon invites Jesus to his home and Jesus should be treated like what church? An honored guest, but he's not. All of the common courtesies that Simon should have extended to Jesus, he does not. Uh, there's, There's no washing of the feet. There's no giving of olive oil. There's none of that. He has Jesus in. And so just imagine, I mean, it's, it's kind of a, a public spectacle. Jesus is sitting there reclining at the table and he's having a meal with Simon. His feet are sticking out and they're filthy. People are passing by. And you have to wonder if they're wondering, why are his feet so dirty? They're not supposed to be. They're supposed to be clean because you're supposed to wash the feet. But there's not even a basin of water there to wash his feet. Now, this is where the story takes a turn. And we don't know. Again, Luke, the gospel writer doesn't give us all the details. We don't know how she found out, but there's this woman who found out that Jesus was there. And we don't know her backstory other than the fact of how Luke describes her. And Luke describes this woman as what, church? He describes this woman as a sinner. Now, I know what you're thinking. We're all sinners. Yes, we are. We are all sinners. But this woman was known for her sin. She has a reputation. Now, Luke, the gospel writer, doesn't tell her, tell us why she has a reputation. Uh, There's lots of people that assume that this woman was kind of a lady of the night, that she was a prostitute. And that may very well have been the case. She might've been a prostitute. The gospel writer, Luke, just doesn't tell us. Maybe it was something else. Maybe she was to town gossip. I have no idea. But what we do know is that, that this woman was known by the people in this town as someone who was a sinner as we also know, right? That at some point along the way, we don't know when, we don't know where, we don't know how, we don't know what, but at some point along the way, this woman who was known in her town as a sinner at some point along the way has some kind of encounter with Jesus. I don't know. Maybe she was around the Sea of Galilee someday when Jesus was teaching and she heard his teachings and it convicted her and, and the spirit of God began to change her life. I have no idea. Maybe she had had a, a personal encounter with Jesus somewhere else. I don't know. But here was a woman. Now, the reason why I say this, because this woman comes what? She comes expressing worship. She comes expressing gratitude and thanks for something that Jesus had apparently done in her life. Now, the whole scene is quite odd, isn't it? She hears about Jesus being at Simon's house. And again, this is kind of a semi-public event. And and she she walks right in. She comes through the the gates of the home and she walks right to Jesus. And and the gospel writer, Luke, tells us that that she's carrying an alabaster jar of perfume. I don't know if you've seen alabaster before, but it's a a beautiful stone. It kind of looks like marble. It was a very soft stone. And in those days, it would have been common for them to carve out that stone so they could use it to carry things like perfume around. And so that's what it was. It was this alabaster jar full of, Luke tells us, expensive perfume. We don't know where she got the perfume from. Luke doesn't tell us. It may have been that this was a family heirloom that was passed down from generation to generation that had not been used in a very long time. And then what happens, again, it's, if you think about it, it's, 
it's really kind of socially awkward. This woman, I mean, everybody knows who she is. She's the town center. Whatever the town center was, that's who she was. And she walks in with this jar of alabaster and she, she, she pours it on the feet of Jesus. I mean, I mean, if you think about it, Simon's sitting there and there's probably others around the table and they're wondering what in the world's going on. It's, it's a spectacle. It's kind of embarrassing. It's awkward. But this woman pays nobody any attention but Jesus himself. And what the Bible says is really a couple of things that are quite interesting. One, she lets down her hair and begins to wash the feet of Jesus with her hair. Now, in those days, it wasn't a sin, but it certainly was culturally inappropriate for a woman in public to let down her hair. That was considered a shameful thing to do. In fact, you can go back, this is so wild. You could go back and, and read some of these ancient Jewish writings that, that, that if you were a husband who had a wife who let down her hair in public, that was grounds enough for divorce. Isn't that crazy? But this woman, she lets down her hair and she washes the feet of Jesus. And not only does she wash the feet of Jesus, but what Luke, the gospel writer tells us is that she what? She's overcome with emotion. She weeps uncontrollably, uncontrollably and she washes the feet of Jesus with her tears. Again, we don't know what happened. We don't know exactly what had happened in her life and how she encountered Jesus. But it's obvious that the Spirit of God was at work and she knew that Jesus was her Savior. Now, how she knew that, how that came about, we don't have all the details. But God was at work in her life. And you see what the text says. Let me show you. And we got to move fast. Look at what it says. You don't have to go anywhere for lunch though because we got that for you so I can go a little bit longer this morning. But look, come on down. Um, Some of you just woke up when I said that. We're going longer this morning? Yep, we are. So look at what it says. Verse 39. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, listen, listen, listen. He said to himself. You know what that means, right? This is a thought he's having in his mind. He's not saying this out loud because obviously, I mean, he's trying to be a little bit sensitive. He doesn't say this out loud, but listen to what he says to himself. This man, speaking of Jesus, if he were a prophet, and I mean, that's, that's what people say. People are saying he's a prophet. People are saying there's something unique about him. But if he were, he would know who and what kind of woman this is who is touching him. She's a sinner. Look at what it says. Jesus replied to him, who is Jesus? Oh, he's the great prophet. He's the great I am. He's the king. He's the Lord of Lords. And what does he know? This is so good. What does he know? He knows exactly what Simon is thinking. And he says, what? Simon, I have something to say to you. And then he tells a story. It's a, quick, a short story. So let me tell it to you quickly. Jesus tells a story about uh, two men that were in debt. And, 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 and one had a greater debt than the other. One owed 500 denarii, one owed 50. In those days, that, that was just a lot of money. Uh, a denarii was about a day's wage. And so you can kind of get in your mind uh, the amount they owed. And, and, and so that, that lender, what did he do? He knew that both debtors could not repay. And so he forgave both their debts. I, mean, I would love to get a phone call from my mortgage company. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I just bought our, we just bought our house about three years ago. We got a long time to go on that house note. Wouldn't you love to get a call that said, you don't have to send a check anymore. It's done. Oh, if, I, if that happened, you better believe I would tell you the name of that banker. I would take you down there to meet him. I would hug him and kiss him. I would, I'd cry my tears on his feet too. You know what I'm saying? I mean, that would be a good day. And that's the point. Jesus is saying, when your debt has been forgiven 
and you understand the, the, the magnitude of your debt and how much has been forgiven, you can't help it. You can't help it but to express gratitude, to express admiration, to express joy. And in the case of this woman, worship to Jesus. And Simon knows this. But what Simon doesn't know, what Simon doesn't know is that he's in debt. This woman is in debt. She knows it. She understands that. And she understands the spirit of God is at work in her. She understands that Jesus has come to forgive her of her sins, to release her from that debt. She knows how evil she is. Simon's evil too. He's a debtor. He's just as evil because we're all evil. We're all sinners apart from the grace of God. But what does he not do? He doesn't get it. This woman does. And Jesus goes on, right? And he says what? He's, he says in front of everybody there, this woman, her sins are forgiven. And he says to this woman, your sins are forgiven. Go in peace. And you, you can imagine that everybody there at the table, everybody there who's listening over and eavesdropping in on the conversation, they're all in shock. What do you mean? Her sins are forgiven. Who are you to forgive sins? And you and I, we know who this is. This is God. This is Jesus who has come in the flesh who's gone to the cross to do what church? To pay our debt for us, to die the death that we deserve, to rise again from the dead so that all of our sins could be forgiven. So we could be given the gift of life abundant and eternal. You do not have a debt to repay because Christ has paid that debt for you. You see what I'm saying? And this woman in this story, she sees it. She understands that this is her savior who has come to rescue her, to save her, to set her free. But Simon and the other Pharisees fail to see it. It's a beautiful, powerful story. A story where once again, we see Jesus Christ extending much grace and mercy. But here's the question. I spent, you know, 20 minutes or so telling you that story. But what does that story have to do with a covenant Sunday? Where here we are in this room, remembering our commitment to this church. Well, I think a lot, because I think this story does remind us of some commitments that we need to make each other. So let's do this quickly. Let me show you. One, one, now watch this. We must be passionate about amazing grace because that's what we experience. And now, come on, you know this. People who have received grace like you and me, because listen, if you're a follower of Jesus, that's what you've received. You've received grace. You are not going to heaven. You're not going to the presence of God when you die because of something you did, because you earned your way there, because you know, you, you, you showed up at church enough times or you served in this capacity or you helped this lady across the street or you did this, you volunteered at the children's home. That's not why you're gonna be in heaven someday. You're only gonna be in the presence of God because Christ died for you and rose again because he has chosen to forgive you of your sins and give you the gift of life. That's it. You are a recipient of grace and people who receive grace, you know what they do? Well, one, they worship. We'll get to that in a minute. And two, they extend grace. You give grace. Now, I want to show you something. Look, look at your covenant, if you will. If you, if you have your church covenant, and we're not going to take time to read it just this moment, but, but you walk down through this covenant that, that we look at every single year, and, and there is a temptation to take a covenant like this and see it as what, church? A checklist. All right. Unity. All right. I can do that. Walk together in brotherly love? I'll give that one a try. Assemble together? Yep, I can do that. 
lead my family toward a close relationship with God? I can do that. And, and, and if we're not careful, now watch this, watch this. We can take a document like this. Or we can take the commitments of the Christian faith and we can, be, we can be this. We can see ourselves as accomplished moralists. Do you follow me? That was the issue with the Pharisees. Accomplished moralists. I can do it. I can do this faith thing. I've got it under control. I can follow the rules. I can, I can work down the checklist. I can do it. That's not the way we approach our covenant together as a faith family. We approach our covenant together as a faith family, as a people who need a whole lot of grace and a people who need to give a whole lot of grace. We look at a list like this, this covenant that we're making to each other. And what I want you to say, because this is the truth, right? I look down this list and say, I can't. I can't do this. Unity, that's not my favorite thing because I really like me in my way. You see what I'm saying? Like lead my family toward a close relationship with God, that's hard. You see what I'm saying? When I look down this list, it's, it's not a list of I can do this. It's a list of I can't, at least not apart from the help of the spirit of God who enables me by his grace to live in a way that honors him and not without the help of a local church that's coming beside me and encouraging me in my walk with Jesus. I can't do this. I can't live out the Christian faith without the help of the spirit and neither can you. And my friend, the more you realize that, the more helpless you realize you are without the power of Christ, the more gracious you're going to be towards other people. Because there's a tendency, is there not? Now, come on. There's a tendency for me to look across the room at you and you look across the room at me and say, man, I got my act together. I wish she would get her act together. I got my act together. I wish he would get his act together. Listen, none of us got our act together. That's the bottom line truth. All of us are in need of daily grace. And this covenant that we signed together is a reminder that we daily need grace. And we daily need to give it. Now, I know I just didn't tell you anything you did not know, but it's good every year to come back and just remind ourselves that we as a church, now watch this, we are a people transformed by grace and we are a people who must give grace. Do you follow? We were here um, a couple of weeks ago and we had uh, Stacy and I were in a, uh, an equip group that I'm leading and Stacy's a part of that group. And so our boys were on campus with, with some of our students hanging out while we were there. And, 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 and my youngest son, Hudson, and I told him I was gonna tell this story, so don't feel bad for him. Um, my youngest son, Hudson, he picked up one of our young ladies' uh, keychains. And on that keychain that he picked up was a, a, a thing of pepper spray. Now, I've been a parent for a long time now, 12 years. I think I've got a little bit of experience. I've had lots of conversations with my kids. I just didn't think that one of the conversations I need to have, right, was what you do with pepper spray. We just hadn't had that conversation yet. I guess it was a conversation I was supposed to have. We hadn't had it. So Hudson took that pepper spray and he sprayed it in the air. And then he made the choice to walk right through it. <laughs> Hudson's a smart kid. He wasn't so smart that night. And so all those things that, I mean, at least he didn't spray it directly in his eyes, but, but he got some of the effect of that. You know what I'm saying? And so his eyes are, are tearing up and the pain and all that burning stuff. We get home later that night. We figured out what had happened. And, and for a couple of hours, like, like his hands were just on fire because that, that spray not only was in his eyes, but got in all his hands. He, could, he just couldn't wash that off, right? Lesson learned from my kid, obviously, not to walk into pepper spray. That's a bad idea. But also lesson learned from me. 
I didn't know. I just didn't know that was a conversation that I was supposed to have with my kid about pepper spray. I mean, obviously it is. I just didn't think that they were gonna pick it up and start spraying their eyes. I figured they might just kind of figure that out on their own, but obviously they did not. And so I tell you a story like that to tell you that I tell you that story. And some of you might look at me as a parent and say, Tommy, you're a pretty bad parent to let your kids spray their eyes with pepper spray. And I would say, yeah, I am. But you know what? You are too. You see what I'm saying? I say all that to tell you, man, what I need from you when I make dumb mistakes as a parent and not inform my kids of all the things they need to do, give me grace. And vice versa. I need, and that's just not in parent, that's in everything. This is what people do who are part of a faith family. We, because we've received grace, we give grace. Now, here's what grace does not mean. Grace does not mean we overlook sin, right? You should tell me, Tommy, you need to have more conversations with your kids about the dangers of pepper spray. I need to hear that from you, right? We don't overlook it, but we give a lot of patience. We give a lot of, we give a lot of encouragement. We give, give a lot of helpful instruction because we want the best for each other. You follow. That's the commitment we make when we sign our covenant together. You see it in this story. This woman understands Grace. Jesus knows how to give grace and he's given it to you. But let's move quickly. We've got to go. We must be passionate about amazing grace. And secondly, think about this. We must be passionate about, oh, I love this, extravagant worship because that's what you see in the text. A woman who in this moment, all that matters to her is coming before her Lord and expressing her worship to him. It is, watch this, it is unashamed. We need to have a conversation because here's what's taking place in our culture right now. You know this, I don't have to tell you this. You live, listen, 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 listen. Come on, wake back up, listen. You live in a culture right now where people are regularly telling you, whether it's through social media, through media, through the people you work with, the people you go to school with, you are, you are living in a world right now that is telling you to be ashamed of being a follower of Jesus. Come on, you know this. You are living in a world that's telling you to be ashamed of, of your convictions, to be ashamed of your stance, to be ashamed of the fact that you believe that Jesus is the only way. And you live in a world right now that is unashamed. There is no shame in our culture. You follow? You live in a world that is unashamed of embracing everything that goes against the very nature of God himself. And if you're not careful, now watch this, watch this. You're going to fall into the temptation of believing the lie that this world is telling you. My friend, let me just remind you of the commitment that we're making this morning, the recommitment that we're making. We're, we're saying together this morning that as a faith family, as a covenant member of this church, as someone who believes in God and believes in this local church, we are not ashamed of our Lord. You follow me? And we are not ashamed of our convictions. We're not ashamed to say that we believe there is one way to the Father and it's through faith in Jesus Christ. We're not afraid to say, we're not ashamed to say there is such a thing as truth. We're not ashamed to say that there's a difference between right and wrong. We're not ashamed to say some of the things that are on your covenant. I mean, just come down and let me show you, for example, you get down towards the end of your covenant and it says, we commit together to take a pro-life stand. We're not ashamed of that. We're not ashamed to say that we believe that God values all life uh, from the time of conception to death, that there's not a life on this earth that God does not value. And so therefore we work together to preserve life and to share the gospel of Jesus Christ to give hope. We're not ashamed of that. Or come down and think about this. We promote the biblical model of marriage between one man and one woman. 
That's not very popular in our culture. Come on, let's be honest. But we're not ashamed of that. We're not ashamed to say that God has a design for humanity. And God's design for humanity is that we live in a relationship with Him through faith in Jesus Christ. And that one man and one woman is what thrives in a culture to populate this earth and to bear God's image in this earth. We're not ashamed to say that that is our conviction. You see what I'm saying? We're not afraid to say, we're not ashamed to say that we believe that what the Bible says is actual truth. And so listen, if, if that makes you uncomfortable, one, you need to listen to the Spirit speaking to you this morning. And two, just know that we're the kind of church that's gonna to continue to make you uncomfortable because these are things that we hold dear because we believe God holds them dear. And so we believe that unashamed worship is thinking rightly about God and his word and what he says. And we're just not ashamed to value what God values. We're not ashamed to talk about our convictions and we're not ashamed of our Lord Jesus Christ. We believe that's unashamed worship. Now, we also believe that, that, that extravagant worship is unashamed and extravagant worship is also laying down my life for Jesus. That's the picture you see in the story. That this woman, she comes and she, she lays it down at the feet of Jesus. She puts her life right there. You, you see, when you and I think about extravagant worship, we, we think about, you know, some, some other kinds of things. We might think about, you know, a loud band and raising our hands and, and emotionalism and all those kinds of things. And, and certainly music and all that stuff helps us to express our worship. But listen, you know this, Romans 12, 1. Here's what extravagant worship is. Extravagant worship is what? You and I laying down our lives as a sacrificial offering before the Lord on the altar every single day. That's extravagant worship where day by day, we say, not my will, but your will be done. Day by day, we say, Father, I'm not living for me. I'm living for you. That's a daily commitment, a daily act of worship. Now I know this. I know I'm telling you things that you already know. This is just review for us. I get it. But this is so critical, right? Because here at this church, again, let me just remind you, it's not our desire to make you comfortable. It's our desire to help you live lives of obedience. And so you can expect, and this is what we're committing to. This is what you and I are committing to at this church every year when we re-sign our covenant. We're committing to what, church? We're committing, right, to be challenged in our faith by the Spirit of God as we study His Word together. We're committing to equip each other for the work of the ministry, and we're committing to send each other out for the sake of the gospel. This is not a place where we gather together just to have our emotional needs met or to feel a spiritual high or to feel good about Jesus. No, we come to this place to be challenged in our faith, to to grow in Christ in such a way that we daily lay down our lives before the altar and we say, not our will, but your will. Do you follow me? This is extravagant worship. And our God who has saved us through his son, Jesus Christ, who has given his all for us, he desires no less than our extravagant worship of full surrender. So that's the commitment we make. And we're unashamed about that commitment. Or think about this and we're done. We must be passionate about extravagant worship, amazing grace. We must be passionate about humble service. Because again, that's what you see in the story. Simon doesn't wash feet. Simon doesn't kiss Jesus. Simon doesn't anoint with oil. But this woman, she comes and she sees a need that her master, her Lord has not been served. And she serves him. Here's the reason why we serve. We serve because we've been served. I love this story because this story points us to a different story. You know the story in John 13, don't you? That last supper, 
on the night before Jesus dies, Jesus is going to walk into an upper room with his disciples. And what is he going to do? The king of kings and lord of lords is going to pick up a towel and a basin of water and he's going to bend down and he's going to wash the nasty feet of his disciples. You see, we don't understand anything about foot washing because we don't walk on dirty streets. We have closed shoes and all those kinds of things. But in this culture, that was a big deal. To bend down and wash somebody's feet, to to wash the filth off of somebody. But what Jesus was doing in that moment, he was pointing to a greater act of service that he would perform for these disciples. You you know what Paul says in Philippians chapter two. I, I want you to know what Paul says in Philippians chapter two, that this one who was in the form of God, Philippians 2, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but humbled himself and became a servant. Jesus served you by doing what you could not do, living a perfect life. Everywhere where you disobeyed God, Jesus obeyed. And this one who obeyed God in everything went to a cross as your substitute. He died the death that you deserve. He suffered the punishment that was coming towards you. He took the wrath of God that was aimed at your life. He took it upon himself and died a sinner's death and then rose again from the dead three days later to secure for you life abundant and eternal. So you can have the assurance this morning, right now, in this moment, that every one of your sins, past, present, and future are forgiven. And you have been given the gift of God's grace forever and ever and ever. That's how Jesus Christ has served you. And so therefore we gladly serve, not with crusty, bitter, angry, do I have to go to church again? Do I have to do this again? No, no, no. We joyously wake up every single day. God, how can I be a blessing for you and your kingdom? Because you've been such a blessing to me. How can I make much of Jesus? How can I live for you because of what you've done for me out of gracious, gracious, extravagant worship? We wake up every day with the heart of a servant because we've been served. And so we're constantly asking the question, what do I have? What has God given me that I must give away? Let me tell you what God's given you that you must give away, everything. Everything you have is on the table. Your gifts, your talents, your resources, your abilities, your family, your children, your own life, everything you have, it's on the table. God, everything you've given me is open for you to use however you want to use. That's the commitment we make as humble servants. You're not a master, you're not an owner, you're a servant. And as a faith family, we're saying together on Covenant Sunday, we're here to serve. We're here to serve our God And we're here to serve each other and we're here to serve this community that desperately needs to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. This is the kind of church you belong to. And we're gonna raise the bar high at Northwood because we don't wanna be anything less than what God has called us to be. We're gonna be unashamed in that. We're gonna continue to make each other uncomfortable as we pursue Christ together. We're gonna live on his mission. Now look around this room. Some of you are, are newer to our church. Some of you have been here for longer. Some of you have been, for, been, been here for a very long time. And I look around this room and I see lots of faces that I know and lots of faces that I love. And I couldn't be any more thankful that God in his sovereignty and his wisdom has allowed us to be together in this. I couldn't be any more thankful that I can say that this is my church home. And I'm thankful that you get to say it too. I am so thankful for the work of God in this local church. So 
I know I told you I was going longer, and I did. We're not done yet. A couple of things. We're almost there. Give me a few more minutes. One, we are going to end our time together. And this morning, if you're in this room and you've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ, I want you to have this morning an experience like this woman did some 2,000 years ago. I want you to experience a Savior in such a way that it leads you to worship Him. And how you experience a Savior this morning is by believing by believing that Jesus 2,000 years ago died the death that you deserve and rose again for you. And maybe you're in this room this morning and you have never placed your faith in Jesus Christ. You've never identified with him uh, by, by, by asking him to forgive you of your sins and by embracing him as the savior and Lord of your life. Today, would you come to him by faith? Would you receive the gift of salvation by turning from your sins and turning to him? As we have a time of invitation in just a moment, uh, they're going to be, uh, we're going we're gonna to stand up and sing. And in the corners of this room, there are two crosses. I would love it this morning that if you've never placed your faith in Jesus, that today will be the day that you walked on one of those crosses. And today there'll be someone at that cross who will meet with you and help you today to begin a relationship with Jesus. If you're watching online, we want you to begin a relationship with Jesus. You're going to see the number on the screen. If you'll text the name Jesus to that number, we'll reach out to you today and help you today begin a relationship with Jesus. But today, would you find the gift of salvation in Christ as you turn to him by faith. Now, for the rest of us, would you take your church covenant with me? What I want to do is I'm just going to take two or three minutes and just read through it. And I just want you to listen, read along with me. And, and after I read it, we're going to pray. And then we're going to have a time of invitation. And here's what's going to happen during our time of invitation. You're going to stand up. And if you're this morning desiring to place your faith in Jesus Christ for the first time, you're going to go to one of those crosses and we're going to help you with that. If you're here, now listen, this is for you if you are a part of the Northwood family. If you've already covenanted with us in church membership in the past, this is for you. You're going to, uh, at our time invitation, re-sign this covenant, walk down and put it in one of these baskets. Now, why do we walk down and put it in a basket? It's just a visual reminder to us that we, again, we're committed to this local church, right? And as you come, I would just ask you to stop. Stop there with your family or, you know, your spouse or your friend or your neighbor and just take a moment and pray. Pray for our church that God would continue to use us according to his will and pray for you that God would use you in the life of our church. So you come down and you place your covenant in the basket and you begin to pray for our church and just return to our, your seat. If you're not a covenant member of our church, uh, we would love for you to be one. And so we would love for you to, to be a part of our Next Connect Northwood class and, and just walk that process with us of learning what it means to be committed to this local church. I hope and pray that you'll be a part of our faith family in a covenant kind of way. And we wanna help you with that too. So please see me and let me help you get connected to our Next Connect Northwood class. But listen to what this says and then we'll pray together. Having, as we trust, been brought by divine grace, repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and to give up ourselves to him, And having been baptized upon our profession of faith in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, we do now, relying on His gracious aid, solemnly and joyfully covenant with each other. We will work and pray for the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. We will walk together in brotherly love as becomes the members of a Christian church, exercise an affectionate care and watchfulness over each other and faithfully admonish and entreat one another as occasion may require. We will regularly assemble ourselves together to pray for ourselves and others without ceasing. 
We will lead our families toward a closer relationship with God to do our utmost to educate our children with a Christian worldview and with a pure and loving example, seek the salvation of our family and friends. We will rejoice in each other's happiness and endeavor with tenderness and sympathy to bear each other's burdens and sorrows. We will seek by divine aid to live carefully in the world, denying ungodliness and worldly lust, remembering that we have been buried with Christ in baptism and raised to walk in the newness of life. We will work together for the continuance of a faithful evangelical ministry in this church as we sustain its worship, ordinances, discipline, and doctrines. We will contribute cheerfully and regularly to the support of the ministry, the expenses of the church, the relief of the poor, and the spread of the gospel to all nations. We will endeavor to engage our culture for the betterment of our society by taking a pro-life stand for the unborn, the elderly of our society, and those too physically ill or handicapped to defend themselves, promoting the biblical model of marriage between one man and one woman, combating the abuse of drugs and the spread of pornography, abstaining from the abuse of alcohol. We will unite with some other church where we can carry out the principles of God's word if we move from this place. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. Amen. Father, what a joy it is to be part of a church like this. Uh, a, A group of believers who are passionate about your kingdom, who are willing to take big steps of faith for the glory of Jesus Christ, who want to see this community reach with the gospel. Father, it's been, it's been an amazing time to be a part of the Northwood family, to see your hand at work. And now for a Sunday like today, where we can just recommit ourselves and say, yes, we're still here. We're still walking by faith together. We're still supporting each other. We're still living together as a family for the sake of the gospel. I thank you that we can recommit in this way. So Father, here we are continuing to desire to be used by you as your people for your glory. And Father, I do pray if there's someone here this morning who's never placed his faith or her faith in Jesus, that today will be the day that person comes and trusts you as Lord. So have your way now, I ask in these final moments, in Jesus' name, amen. You rise to your feet, you sign that covenant, and you come and drop it in one of these baskets. Pray for our church. You come now as we have this time of invitation.